16 Podcast. And now, your host, Ellis Tolbert. Hey folks, 4th and 16 Sports coming at you on a wonderful Labor Day weekend. It's Monday, so hopefully a lot of you have the day off. Uh, I'm Ellis Tolbert. Got a little time for some college football recap. Lots of interesting things happening over the weekend. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Clemson-Georgia Tech game and more with my good friend and host of the Morgan Thomas Show, the man himself, Mr. Morgan Thomas. Morgan, thanks for coming on the show, man. Ellis, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this uh, interesting week one of college football with you. Absolutely. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your show and some other big news you may have regarding your show? Well, Ellis, as you mentioned earlier, it's The Morgan Thomas Show on Facebook, YouTube, and now we're officially on The Roar's website. That's www.theroar.radio. As you know, The Roar is Clemson's flagship station for all things Clemson Athletics, so you can listen to them on the radio, uh, and you'll be able to find my show now on their website. That's so awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. Uh, Folks, if you're listening, you need to check it out. If you don't already know, uh, Morgan has a lot of Clemson content coming at you. He doesn't just do football. He does all the sports, uh, and he does it really good. He's a really good co-host, too, so I implore you guys to check that out. Uh, There's going to be a show coming up this Wednesday, so check that out. Uh, Getting into it, Clemson versus Georgia Tech. The Clemson Tigers defeated Georgia Tech by a score of 52 to 14. Uh, that makes Clemson officially 1 and 0. The football season has started. Uh, it's pretty much a game full of things that can be cleaned up. And personally, while I don't think Clemson played a game all around, uh, I'll take a 38 point win in a game. <laughs> I mean, that game is super hard to prepare for. Uh, a lot of weird things. Morgan, what was your thoughts on the game, man? Did you see anything you like or dislike? Well, I got a few things that I wrote down. It was really my first game that I ever watched as a a show host or hosting my own show. So I brought a notepad. My wife was like, what are you doing? You're just not going to enjoy the game. I said, no. And now I got to write down notes and and learn about the game and study (laughs) it. And uh, so it was interesting, but I ended up with like nine pages of notes. And I'm sure Dabo does that as well when he watches his film. But uh, it's it's pretty cool to write down the notes so you don't have to go back and rewatch everything. But uh, being as big of a Clemson fan as I am, I rewatch it anyways. Exactly. Uh, but the sh- the biggest strength for me is something that I, I actually wished for in my previous episode of my show was for Travis Etienne to have a great day and and start his Heisman campaign off well. We all know that Travis is going to have an uphill battle to get to that Heisman Trophy, uh, just simply because he's a running back and uh, also because he's competing with someone someone who's on his team in Trevor Lawrence. But uh, he had a great game. 12 carries, 205 yards, 17.1 yards per carry. It's <laughs> crazy. Three touchdowns, had a 90-yard one, as you know, tied the, the school history for that longest run there. Just an amazing night. Statistically, a few months ago, I looked at what would he realistically need for every game, 12, 12 regular season games before they release the ballots, right? He's going to need about 167 yards per game. And 205 definitely checks that box off uh, and helps for the other games going forward. So now the average is about 260 or 163 uh, on average for the rest of the season. So definitely something doable, especially if he keeps doing what he's doing there. Um, it's exciting as Clemson fans because I would love to see anybody win the Heisman Trophy that's wearing orange. But uh, Travis is a special kid. Another another great strength that I saw, uh, Isaiah Simmons, man, picking up right where he left off. 10 tackles, five solo. If you want to go to the outside on Clemson's defense, you're going to meet Isaiah Simmons face-to-face 
and you're probably going to get on the ground pretty quickly. And uh, it's exciting to see just how well he can tackle. And that leads me into kind of an opportunity. I know a lot of fans were posting this on social media as well. Tackling could get better. You know, not something that we normally say from a Brent Venables defense, but um, noticed uh, some some missed tackles in the sense of I don't think anybody really knew that they were going to come out and or Georgia Tech was going to come out in a spread option. I thought they were really going to actually change things, but they ended up just running the quarterback just as much as they would normally, just in a different kind of formation, it seemed. And so there were a lot of over pursuits, Georgia Tech running one way, but then cutting back another way or or the read option style where where the quarterback would take the ball away from the running back. A lot of over-pursuits there and missed tackles there, but uh, something that can definitely be cleaned up. I'm not complaining at all because, like you said, winning or going going into halftime 28 nothing and winning the game is by over 30 points is, uh, you know, nothing to really we're, – we're nitpicking at this point. But again, and, and then there was something that I was interested in. Everybody's talking about Trevor Lawrence throwing two interceptions. I really wasn't that concerned with that because the second one was really uh, – laziness to be honest he was just trying to throw it away while while jumping sideways <laughs> but um justin ross was really non-existent you know they gave him a couple of short passes he had a 10 yard catch uh but only 13 yards total so i want to see justin again i think we all expected to see him uh come out and and do what he did in the national championship game but it just wasn't there and sometimes you're going to have that for sure, for sure. Uh, you touched on a couple of things I like, especially with the running backs. Uh, Travis Etienne, obviously, uh, for anyone listening, uh, you know how talented the guy is. I just actually had my barber ask me. He was like, who is that number nine guy that you guys have? I was like, well, <laughs> he's been around for a while now. Uh, if you don't know who Travis Etienne is, you're not paying attention. Uh, and I really like the, 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 the entire running back room. I, they're, they're opening my eyes to the fact that you know, maybe it was a good decision that Tavian Feaster left. Um, you know, Lynn J. Dixon ran hard as well. He, he's starting to look a little bit more like a college football running back. Uh, it looks like he's put a little bit more weight on. He's definitely stronger. Balance is really good, too. He's got good vision. Uh, there was a couple situations where he found the hole that wasn't there. Uh, so I really like that. And then we got to see Darian Rencher get out there and show what he's able to do. He's just Darren Rinch is a very good running back. He just hasn't had the opportunity to really show it. Uh, he's been playing behind some really good guys for last year. Uh, it's really hard for him to get in, uh, but he he's doing the most with what he can now. And I'm happy to see the true freshman guys. I thought Chaz Malusi came out first. Uh, a lot of people were kind of confused because we've been told that maybe it was going to be Dukes. Uh, but Malusi comes out. Uh, he ends up being... Uh, looking like the better running back of the two, truthfully. Uh, he runs hard. He reminds me of uh, another Adam Choice type guy. He's going to be reliable in those short yardage uh, situations. Also like Mikey Dukes, uh, he's really shifty, super fast. He just juked a guy completely out of his shoes. Uh, I really like that, but there is something about that. I, I think he needs, you can tell that he's still big play minded from high school. Uh, he's going to need to stop juking a little bit uh, you know, stop dancing a little bit, just go straight through the hole and then make your move and go. Uh, but I thought the running backs ran hard. I was very impressed with those guys. Uh, and to your point about the linebackers, I completely agree with that. Uh, I think a lot of the missed tackles, though, uh, there's two things that contribute to it. One, conditioning. Think about this. You're not really playing against other guys that want to bowl you over in practice. You know, they, they it's a friendly competition in practice, but Georgia Tech players they want to knock your socks off. So 
that that has something to do with it. Guys hadn't been practicing. They're not conditioned yet. It was game one. And then the other thing is that Jordan Mason running back for Georgia Tech is a 6'1", almost 6'2", 230-pound running back who runs about a 4'4". It's kind of hard to tackle a guy like that. It's very slippery. And Georgia Tech running backs have always been very hard to tackle, uh, historically hard to tackle. I, I didn't like seeing that, but I'll take it. They got better with it later on in the game. Um but I'm happy with that. I'll tell you something that I was really excited about seeing. Uh, and this is what I had been talking to people about um, in the past. One of the reasons why I, you know, I'm not quite ready to say that Trevor's the best quarterback at Clemson yet is because I wanted to see him respond to adversity. I wanted to see the team respond to adversity. Now, you go, Ellis, how do you have adversity in a 38-point win? Well, I'll tell you quickly, like you said, the interception. Well, the first interception came from Trace Willing. He completely baited Trevor. He actually talked about it. it was a tendency that he saw from last season, knew that he was going to jump it. They gave a coverage that was kind of a bluff, and he gambled and made it. Okay, So Trevor was beaten out on that one. But guess what Trevor did? He goes, I'm going to go down this field. I'm going to have the heart of a champion. There's something you hear Dabo, you hear Brent, you hear Tony, you hear all the guys talk about this, the heart of the champion. Trevor put it all on the line, ran the guy down, and knocked him out before he could score pick six. You're not getting that on me. That's what Trevor said. And then you have the defense turn around, go and make a turnover. And again, that's what I want to see out of this team. I think that will take this team a lot further, um, especially coming up against a team like Texas A&M. You want to go ahead and get that kind of stuff out of the way. That way you're ready for it when you see a team that's better. Um, but I'm excited about, I was excited about that. And then also the defensive line, a lot of questions about the defensive line. You lose four guys to the NFL. You wonder how they can retool. Well, you do it with really good guys that can play. And then another true freshman who's proving that he earned his spot there. So I, I'm, I'm happy with this Clemson team. Like I said, I want to see some things shored up. A lot of that is contributive to the first game of the year, but it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. What do you think about the kicking and punting? I think they maybe improved a little bit in punting for sure. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I was big on Aiden Swanson going into the season uh, after watching his film from high school. To me, he, he's just very inconsistent though right now. Still young, wasn't able to beat out Spires in the in the punting situation. And so – um, I, I didn't have any notes as far as poor punting at all. I think they, they were very consistent. And BT Potter, as you mentioned, yes. uh, had, a, had a huge kick, um, you know, over 50 yards. And so that was exciting to see. Uh, a lot of people were even joking, like, you know, it just wasn't exactly in the middle. It was just a little <laughs> bit to the right or something like that. And I was like, come on, guys. You know, we can't really complain about uh, – <laughs> I know it was a joke, but uh, it's exciting to see. Anytime you have a kicker that can kick that deep is, uh, from that far away is, is exciting. Um, there's really – you mentioned, you know, adversity. And the, the, the passing game really wasn't hitting on all cylinders as we saw throughout the game. But uh, that's what's scary to me is to, to know that this is wide receiver you – in my opinion, I know there's some debate on that with Alabama, but this is wide receiver you, and yet they put up 411 yards rushing when when they were kind of, you know, slowed on on the passing game, and that's exciting for me because uh, you can you can practice all you want for the passing game and those big time wide receivers, the six of them that they have, six seven of them that they have, but uh, they've got like you mentioned, really good running backs as well. 
Um, and each one of them brings something unique to the game. They're all very effective, which is which is really exciting. Even the freshmen have have their own unique things that they can do. Um, in that game, I noticed that it, it looks the defense looks different, and so you don't have that big, powerful NFL first round draft picks on the defensive line. In a lot of ways, a lot of these guys look more like, other than Pickney and, and Williams, look more like a bunch of uh, beefy linebackers out there. And I and I, I kind of noted that. And 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 sometimes they would even come out. I noticed in in kind of a, a three down lineman and then three linebackers. Um, so like a three three five or maybe a three four, but uh, or or even a four three, but have that outside uh, in stand up. So they'd have Henry stand up or they'd have Thomas stand up. So kind of like a, a hybrid linebacker there. So I feel like Brent Venables is is going to pull, going to kind of give that look more often than not going into this year because he just doesn't have that Dexter Lawrence anymore. He doesn't have that that big giant guy that has to be in the middle. Um, and he has a lot of guys that can play that in that also can kind of back up and play uh, linebacker as well if they need to. And he likes to do that take the linemen and, and back them off into coverage. And we saw that a couple times with Foster and Henry and Thomas doing that. Um, but when they got that interception and took it to the two-yard line, um, I, my thought was this is going to be an automatic touchdown for them because we just don't have that beefy line like we used to. But I was so proud of the guys to to stop them, not only stop them, but get a turnover themselves uh, in you know with uh, Denzel Johnson there. So – uh, very excited for that for that team. They're, they don't look the same, but they're still just still just as talented. Oh yeah, for sure, folks. I'm hanging out with Morgan Thomas of the Morgan Thomas Show. Morgan, I completely agree with you with the defense. I think some of that though had to do with what they thought that Georgia Tech was going to do offensively. Uh, I think that they were going to try to find their matchups here and there. And it's kind of hard to deal with Georgia tech with a tight end. They haven't had that in over 15 years. So it's kind of hard, but at the same time, I like some aspects of that. I will say, I do not like a guy like Justin Foster out in coverage that will route that came in the second half. That was a little bit contingent on a player, just not knowing where to be. Uh, it's not that he's not able to cover, but I just don't think I would put him out on a slot receiver in this situation. Uh, also, I really, I thought that, you know, the guys were able that he was able to use the guys in a way that was productive against what Georgia Tech was throwing at them. Um, you you have a guy who's super fast at quarterback who likes to get out of the pocket. He's not comfortable in the pocket at all. So you want to bring the guys who can bring it. Uh, that was one of the differences for sure. Uh, you have a guy like uh, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence just completely imploding the middle uh, so that quarterbacks are not going up the middle, but now they're going around the outside. So that's why it's very important to have speed on the ends. Uh, if you're unable to cover your ends, you're bad. If you get outflanked, you're bad. It's a bad situation. Uh, Georgia Tech likes to widen their splits on the offensive line, so that way you have to cover the outside. They don't care about going inside. They want you to cover that outside. And they got fast guys everywhere. Uh, that's one thing that you mentioned earlier. Uh, very important that they're going to have to not do for this game against Texas A&M. You cannot over-pursue at all, especially not in the pass rush. Tobias Oliver ate you alive with that. What do you think Kellen Mond's going to do? A guy who can actually throw the ball. So <laughs> we're going to have to make sure to not over-pursue. I thought some of the defensive linemen that did really well with that was KJ and Justin. I think at times, 
you know, Xavier kind of overpursued, but he's got so much freak talent that he's able to make up for it. I go back to the, uh, it was a sack, but I want to say it was a missed sack because he ends up sacking him, uh, but he missed him the first time, but he's just so athletic and so fast that he was able to catch up with him. Uh, we can't have that against better quarterbacks. So, uh, and then let's not, let's not take anything away from Georgia tech. I think Georgia tech came in with the mindset of, you know, the unpredictable and it's, it's hard to predict something on the first game of the season. You don't really know what you're going for. Uh, they don't, Clemson didn't know what they were trying to go for. And, and we saw that, but I do think that Georgia tech was doing a little too much. Uh, they were weightlifting in pregame. I think there's too much of an emphasis on waffle house, all this crazy stuff. I think, I think Jeff Collins needs to kind of, you know, kind of reel that in a little bit, harness that excitement, but reel it in. Cause you saw Georgia tech come out. They were super excited. They were amped for this game. Um, but you know, it is what it is. They were using different personnel when it comes to the passing game for Clemson. I, I tell this to people all the time. I love it. If Clemson has a 500 yard passing game and a 30 yard rushing game or a 500 yard rushing game and 30 yard passing game, because that means they can pick your poison. Georgia tech was coming out with a complete cloud coverage. They were trap covering everywhere, trying to confuse Trevor Lawrence. They were completely set on not giving up the big play and they, it worked but they also gave up 411 yards rushing. Uh, I will say too, that James Graham should probably be their starter. He's, he seems like the guy that can throw the ball and run the ball. Uh, you can't just run the ball. You're not going to be successful, uh, especially not against a team like Clemson when you do that. So I, I don't know. All in all, I thought it was a good game. I thought Clemson again, we, and we've been talking about this, they have some things that they can clean up, but I think it was just minor things. I don't think it's something glaring like the offensive line can't block or the running backs can't block or Trevor's just super inaccurate or something like I, it's nothing like that. It's just small things. I think Dabo's going to get him back in the in the film room. I think this pra- this week of practice is going to be good. Uh, and again, it, they look fine. They're still a strong team. Uh, I can't wait for this game next week. But Folks, that's the end of the first segment. When we come back, we're going to be discussing some of the transfers from Clemson and how they fared in their first game. You are listening to 4th and 16. Back in a moment. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome back to the 4th and 16 Podcast. All right, folks, 4th and 16, the recap back underway. So Clemson had some noise in the past season and as recent as this past offseason in the transfer portal. A couple of those players have transferred out. 
got their first start this weekend, or at least played with their new teams. Uh, we're going to dive into some of that right now. Uh, we're going to start with Hunter Johnson, Northwestern, quarterback at Clemson. Uh, not a very good showing. Um, very bad for me. Actually went 6-17 for 55 yards and two interceptions. Uh, the reason why this was bad is because he got the start against Stanford. Okay, He got in, threw interception. Pat Fitzgerald had none of that, benched him immediately. Then you go to a guy like TJ Green. He comes in, he plays not much better, but he gets hurt and Hunter has to come back in and he still doesn't play that well. Uh, of course, we saw uh, Stanford win 17 to seven. What do you think happened there, Morgan? Well, I'm just looking at the the box score and you see you're the starting quarterback of Hunter Johnson and you're still out passed by TJ Green with 62 yards passing and uh, 29.6 QBR. Hunter Johnson only had 55 yards passing and two interceptions and a 4.2 QBR. Um, you know, everybody was kind of, I, I know preseason, we were all thinking, okay, this is going to be great for Northwestern because Hunter Johnson was a five-star recruit. He came to Clemson. He played under uh, that system for a while, so he should be ready and and um, you know, have that experience to to carry it forward to another team. But this is an example where, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. He went in for uh, as a starter, which we all kind of expected or hoped for him, and then just completely bombed it. Um, and like you said, was taken out, was not going to get back in the game until T.J. Green got injured. I think it was something with his foot, if I remember correctly, and uh, came back in the game and continued to play horribly. So just not a good game for him. Not really not much to say about that other than, you know, just uh, probably wish that he could uh, start the weekend over at, at Friday. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The more you look at this, because there's a lot of people who were in the Hunter Johnson camp after spring game. I, I remember having this conversation with people. Uh, they were saying, you know, that they thought that Hunter Johnson be the, should be the starter at Clemson. Uh, bar none. Uh, but I, I think I, I'm not saying that the kid's not as good as his ratings were. I am saying that he might have made, I think he might've made a bad decision. I, I just don't know if he's going to get the same kind of mm, coaching and development at Northwestern. Now Northwestern did just put quarterback in the NFL, Clayton Thorson. He was very, very consistent, but they're not the same kind of quarterback. Uh, Clayton Thorson is going to play, you know, ride the check down. He's going to throw it short. He's going to be very throwing a whole lot of high percentage passes. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're going to do they're going to do the best with what they have. But Hunter Johnson's not that guy. I hope that he can get it back on track. I'm not exactly sure if T.J. Green's injury was something that was uh, that could keep him out for an extended period of time. Uh, if not, we might see another quarterback controversy up there. They're going to see what's going on. I hate it for Hunter. Uh, but, and, and it's just the first game. I'm not saying that the kid's going to be terrible for the rest of the season, but that was not a good showing. Uh, it didn't impress anyone. Uh, and then you move forward to Kelly Bryant, Missouri quarterback. Uh, he had 48 completion. I mean, attempts. Uh, he had 31 completions out of that 65.6 completions for 423 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. Now, you know, Wyoming ended up beating Missouri in a, bit of a head scratcher 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen Kelly Bryant throw that many times. It's, it's like he's trying to show people he is a quarterback. <laughs> what do you think well, about that? That That's kind of, I think, what he wanted to do this season is to come out and show that he could – throw the ball and throw the ball consistently. And really, I mean, I don't think that Clemson fans felt like he couldn't throw the ball. Um, Like you said, 423 yards, obviously he can throw the ball. And we know he's a playmaker. Um, We know that he can win games. I mean, he took Clemson to the playoffs. So I don't think that he needed to prove that, but he came out and definitely did. Um, But he had something that was surprising to me is he had a little bit of difficulty in the running game. 11 carries for 20 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. Not typical what you would see from Kelly Bryant. He usually is uh, pretty good with the running game and rolling out and kind of getting some space and making some plays when there's nothing available. But as you noted, I mean, 48 pass uh, attempts, obviously there were things available in the passing game that he could just uh, torch the defense. Um, When he did try to run the ball, he fumbled the ball one time. Uh, he had an issue with the red zone handoff and fumbled there too. And he did, he did have one interception in the red zone as well. That was kind of the thing for me that I think Kelly needs to prove other than just being able to pass the ball. We know he can throw the ball deep. We know that he can throw, um, to the sidelines and things like that, like, like out routes and stuff like that. But, um, the situational passes, the third down passes, the red zone passes, being able to convert, um, when it's when it's absolutely necessary, he he had problems with that when he was at Clemson, and he continues, unfortunately, to have problems or to show at least one game into it to have problems uh, now at Missouri. Um, like I said, they were they they were forty one percent on third down, but when it came to passing third downs, they were a lot worse, and uh, that was something that I always was very frustrated with when he was a, a Tiger, a Clemson Tiger. And uh, like I said, he doesn't seem to kind of get over that. Again, they got into the red zone a bunch of times and just kept making mistakes. I believe that they had many opportunities to win this game and just uh, couldn't do it. Another On the, on the other side of the, the ball, on the defense, um, you're looking at Missouri can't stop the run. Much like another team I think we're going to talk about later on in the show, Tennessee, uh, Missouri you, you, anybody can anybody that has decent running back is going to be able to run all over Missouri right now the, the way they look, and uh, that's not going to be good because I know there are a lot of really good running backs in the SEC that are that are going to want to take advantage of that. So uh, I think Kelly's going to be struggling with uh, having to keep up with his defense. So it's not something he had to do when he was at Clemson is is uh, keep up with the, the the points that were scored from the other team, um, and that's that's going to hurt him I think in the long run because of those third down situations, those red zone situations. I really want to see him do better. I, I don't wish any ill on him, but uh, situational passing downs, he's got to get better. Yeah, when you look at the stats at first, if you if you didn't watch the game or you don't know anything about it, you didn't know the score, you look at 31 of 48 with a 65.6 completion percentage for 423 yards, you're thinking, wow, this this guy really lit it up. Like you said, situational passing. There were a lot of uh, missed passes in this game uh, that were head scratchers. I mean, the guys were right there. He just missed them. Then you, he turned around and make a beautiful pass. He had one long pass down the side uh, to the tight end. It, it was just, it was, it was strange to see. And, and I agree with you. Missouri can't stop a cold right now. That's an issue. Actually, they're not the only one 
there's a couple of teams that we're going to talk about later that can't stop the run. And I think that might be an idea that some of these teams are taking. They, they're going with that position. But I don't think that Missouri is going to be able to, like you said, keep up with their defense. They're going to have to score a lot of points. Uh, and you mentioned that fumble. That fumble led to a touchdown for Wyoming. Uh, you know, I, there was a joke out there that said that, uh, the Missouri players, uh, should have never went out to Wyoming because they're dealing with hypoxia and they can't breathe after they're trying to run. They can't catch up. So I, I just was, I was pleased with the numbers. When you look at the numbers, Kelly Bryant looks like a quarterback, but when you look at the overall, not very happy about that. Hopefully he gets it working out. They've got talent around them, round tree. Uh, they just really have to hone that in. I, I, like you said, I don't wish any ill on Kelly Bryant, but uh, if he wants to get to the NFL, he's going to have to keep on that and limit some of the mistakes. Um, let's talk about Shaq Smith. Shaq Smith ended up getting into the game. He's a starter for Maryland. Now, of course, Maryland won the game 79 to nothing over Howard, which is to be expected. Uh, Shaq Smith had three tackles and a sack in this game. He actually had uh, two assisted sacks too. So he actually did pretty good. He's pretty disruptive. And, he is what I thought he would be up there. They are playing him like a buck defensive end. Uh, he is a stand-up rush end. Uh, I think that might be a little easier for him because he has just basically a simplified idea of what the game plan is defensively. Whereas at Clemson, he was going to have to be the quarterback of the defense. Don't think he quite got that down yet. Do you think this is a good move for him? Well, I think I think it is, especially with the the points that you were making um, after the spring game. Dabo likes to have his his one on one kind of real talk segments, and that was right around the point that Shaq Smith said, "I'm out of here." Even though he brought, I think, like fifty or sixty of his family members to the spring game, and so I don't think Shaq was not trying to do his best. And, and Brent Venables has even said that it was uh, it was confusing to him why he decided to leave. But I think it makes sense in the in the fact that they were trying to uh, fit him in a in a position that he he really wasn't wasn't skilled for. Um, he after a couple of years, I think it's it's time to move on from that middle linebacker spot. Maybe put him into the the outside linebacker spot. But even then, it, he kind of fit more into the role of a defensive end, uh, which is kind of what he's doing now, where where there's uh, less things to focus on as far as the defense as a whole and more things to focus on individually. I think that's where he fits best. The unfortunate thing is if if you go back and say, well, Clemson could have done that for him, uh, kind of hard to say because, you know, last year, all the first-round draft picks that were on the defensive line, he would have been – heavy competition there this year with Thomas and, and uh, Foster and Henry and Rudolph all showing that they, they are very talented as well. He's going to be one of uh, many that are having to fight for that position. Um, so I don't know why he made the decision that he made, but um, I, I, I want him to do well as well with, uh, like we said with Kelly. And uh, if, if he needs to move positions in order to do that, I think that's what's best for him. Yeah, and it looks like it's working out. Again, they're using him more like a buck defensive end. I was actually thinking they were going to use him as a jack, but that's just the same thing, just a different side. Uh, he's he's going to be disruptive. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see because Maryland plays Syracuse uh, this coming week. Uh, I'm interested in seeing how he works out there, uh, especially with the change at quarterback over at Syracuse. I want to see if he can get after the quarterback, especially at that defensive end spot. Uh, and again, Maryland played lights out in that game. 
Uh, I do think that their defense is going to give them a shot to really make some noise in the Big Ten, but uh, who knows? I'm, I'm happy for him. Out of the guys, uh, he's mm, probably the second best performance uh, overall, uh, just because he wasn't in a lot of plays, but he directly contributed to uh, stopping the offense. And I granted, it was Howard. Howard's an FCS school, uh, historically black school. They're they're not very good, but at the same time, uh, I was pleased with what I saw out of Shaq Smith uh, and Godspeed to the kid. And last of the transfers, <laughs> Mr. Tavian Feaster made his first – well, he didn't start. That's another thing we're talking about. <laughs> uh, against the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, he had 13 carries for 72 yards, a touchdown with 5.5 average. That's pretty good. Uh, he also had two catches and 11 yards. Uh, again, he didn't start – uh, that was a little strange. I thought he went to South Carolina to be the featured back. Now, of course, uh, you're not just walk in a place and immediately take someone's job. Regardless of how inefficient that Dowdle and Turner and Mon Denson was last year, Tavian Feaster is still going to have to earn it. He did just announce that he was going to be a South. It's not like he's had this plan uh, for months or now. I mean, maybe he's had the plan to transfer, but I don't. I'm not exactly sure he was 100% sold on South Carolina until closer to the season starts. What is your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing that I thought is exactly what you said about not being a starter. And then you look back, he graduated early August, um, had some summer classes at Clemson and said that he was focused on, on getting that degree. And then he would try to make a decision. So I feel like that um, with his late arrival, that probably took away from his chances of becoming a, a starter uh, and learning that offense. Um, but we know that he's more than capable of uh, being a, a number one running back, and and uh, he's a great in blocking, and he's just a very reliable player for sure. Uh, and and Dabo has even mentioned that we we wish that he was still on the team. It's one of those ones where it's like, why, why did you leave again? Um, and he mentioned the reasons why he left is he wanted to be with a playoff contender. I'm just going to leave that there. And then he mentioned, <laughs> he, wanted, <laughs> he mentioned that he wanted to be a starter. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that he's not the starter, but one game into it, he's not. And, and it probably is because he came in late. Um, and he mentioned he wanted to have weapons around him. Uh, a lot of people talk some big games about the wide receiver core with uh, South Carolina, and uh, it was kind of struggling there as well. So uh, a lot of things that I felt like he had these check boxes, and uh, I'm not really seeing all these boxes being checked, unfortunately. Um, it, it was very concerning to me that they they didn't seem to play him even uh, in, in towards the end of the game when they needed it the most. Um, he seemed to be on the bench, and they put Dowdle in, and, and they gave the ball over to to Jake Bentley, which oh, um, was a terrible idea. Uh, you know, they got up twenty to nine at one point, and that that reason for that twenty to nine had a lot to do with Tavian Feaster, and it was still twenty to seventeen, and Feaster was in the game and actually moving the ball, and that's kind of he was moving the ball, had had moved it up sixteen yards total in a couple of plays, and then. Fourth and one or third and five, he didn't get it. They, they I think they, they did a little short pass to him, and he got to the uh, within one yard of it. So it was fourth and one on midfield, and a lot of people are really ragging on Muschamp about this, punting fourth and one midfield up 20 to 17 
in, in the fourth quarter. And uh, a lot of people feel like that that was a bad decision from the from the coach there. They should have just ran it. And I, I think, you know, if you look at statistically, if you go, look on paper, Feaster was getting three, four yards of carry up and uh, on that drive. So uh, what's to say he couldn't do that as well, especially somebody as as experienced as he is. Um, I, I think if you trust the defense to enough to punt them, punt the ball, then trust the defense enough or trust your offense enough to to get one yard too. Um, it didn't work out for him with with Jake Bentley. It seemed like Jake Bentley towards the end of the game took over the game and it resulted in three punts and two interceptions. And so <laughs> South Carolina has got to do something with that because um, you, you, you take out Tavian Feaster who, who was your leading rusher at the point, doesn't play much in the fourth quarter, give it in control of Bentley. And that's what he does for you. You had five drives um, while you were still up in the, in late game. I'm talking five minutes left in the third quarter on to the end of the game. You had five key drives that you could still have put something up there, didn't use Feaster really, and let Bentley kind of implode at the end. So, um, you know, I don't even want to talk about the Mac Brown uh, situation where he took a knee four <laughs> times. I, 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 on fourth, I mean, who takes a knee on fourth down with as many coaches as you employ? There was not one coach that ran out could could have ran out there and at least gotten gotten a a penalty for being on the field. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. They they were scratching heads. I, I saw uh, offensive coordinator Phil Longo asking like, "Why would you do that?" And and you could see Mac just going, "I, I don't know, just whatever." <laughs> like he didn't he wasn't thinking. He I don't think anyone thought. I don't even think North Carolina thought that they could win that game until the second interception. I think that's when it sealed the deal. Um, and again, Tavian Feaster has been producing for you again, 5.5 average. He is running the ball hard. Like, I mean, at one point it looked like North Carolina defenders were just bouncing off of him. That first run that he had, he had a quick spin move in the hole and took it all the way down. So I, I agree with you. I don't understand. I also don't understand why, what he said he wants isn't lining up with what happened. Now, again, like you said, this is first game. Doesn't mean that he won't be the starter later on, but right now in a game that you absolutely needed him to win, you didn't do it. You put your, put it in the hands of a quarterback who we all know is very inconsistent. You can't rely on him. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. But again, I just don't, I don't feel like I understand the concept of Tavian Feaster. They did throw the ball to him, but they only did it twice. Tavian Feaster is one of the best pass catching running backs out there. Why wouldn't you throw it to him? Instead, you want to throw it deep to Brian Edwards, who's only able to catch one or two balls for you, and Shai Smith, who's small. So, again, I'm not knocking South Carolina for the game. I mean, of course, to put the game in the hands of a guy like Jake Bentley, you're going to have some issues, but Tavian Feaster was producing for you. So, I don't know. Again, that was weird. But it seems like, really, all of the transfers for Clemson didn't have very good showings. Now, of course, I left out uh, Zarek Cooper. Zarek Cooper is playing for Jacksonville State. He's already done some great things over there. He's broken records for uh, FCS and passing, so I'm okay with that. Uh, but I, I was—I just want to talk about the guys who had the FBS Power 5 starts. They didn't look very well, so that was strange. Sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. Transfer portal isn't always your friend. And that is the end of the second segment. 
When we come back, we're going to be talking about some more game recaps and some issues with the SEC. I don't know. They, they've been talking about how Clemson's schedule is very weak, but not a very good showing for the SEC. Back in a moment. Inhale good. Wouldn't that smell better with farm-rich mozzarella sticks in front of you? Yes, find farm-rich in the freezer aisle and enjoy. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome back to the 4th and 16 Podcast. All right, folks, final segment of the 4th and 16 recap. Man, there were some ugly games, some weird outcomes, uh, things that happened that I was just kind of scratching my heads with, but I'm okay with it for the most part. We're going to start with Florida State versus Boise State. Now, this game was already kind of weird. It was moved to Tallahassee from Jacksonville because of the hurricane. Uh, turns out the hurricane didn't even reach Jacksonville yet. <laughs> so that was a little weird. It would move to a 1230 game. Uh, and then, you know, Florida State came out firing on all cylinders. I mean, they were up 18 points at one point for Boise State to just do the Boise State thing and come all the way back and beat them. Thoughts on this one, Morgan? Well, Immediately when they came out, Florida State came out with 21 points in the first quarter. Twitter was going crazy about how uh, Taggart has finally found and Bryles had finally found the offense that we're looking for for Florida State. And, man, that didn't age very well because <laughs> they only had 68 yards in the second half and no, t- no, no points in, from the third quarter on. And uh, uh, you could just see that – when you're watching the game, Florida State was slowly getting more and more wore down as the game kept going. And Boise State, uh, again, went to their running game and just kept going after it. And also their passing game. I mean, really, they kind of were very balanced. You look at, uh, you look at the, what the quarterback did. I think they had 400, over 400 yards passing from Bachmeyer, uh, which Kirk Herbstreet was just singing the praises of, and rightfully so. Um, you know, but 30 for 51, we're talking about Kelly Bryant passing a lot, <laughs> you know, 51 passes there. And then they had over 200 yards rushing. So, uh, pretty well-rounded offensive performance from Boise state. And they just kept putting it on, you know, six points in the first quarter, but then second quarter, 13, seven and 10, while Florida state just got worse and worse as the game went on. Uh, I'm not very confident in Florida state's, uh, defense at all and their rushing game, was non-existent um, for majority of the game. So, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, Akers had 116 yards rushing, but um, but the team as a whole, uh, only 99 yards with a couple of big-time sacks and, and Blackman. I've never really been big on on James Blackman because I feel like, um, you know, he, he came in and he was probably, I think, a hundred pounds soaking wet when he came <laughs> in 
and he's a sophomore now and you know still looks like a really really uh, undersized quarterback out there really skinny kind of looks like a Deshaun Watson when he first came in I, I remember shaking hands with Deshaun and thinking man this kid has got to get in the weight room and I feel the same way with Blackman if he's going to be uh, a top level power five quarterback he's got to get in the weight room it's crazy you say that because here's the thing and and Blackman's actually a junior He's, he's, he's a junior. So he's been in, in, in college football for a couple of years and he still looks like a string bean. <laughs> now, here's the crazy thing about him. Reports out of the Florida State say that this kid gained 30 pounds. He still looks like a string bean. I, I like, you know, a lot of people gave Trevor Lawrence, they were saying, oh, the kid's 6'6. Six, six. He's very skinny. He better watch out. I don't know if anyone's looked at, but Trevor Lawrence has transformed his body. He's gotten muscle on him. James Blackman still looks the same. He has not changed. So he doesn't carry weight well. Uh, so uh, it's very interesting. And and again, I, I, I'm not super, I'm not down on James Blackman, but here's my thought on it. You, you might have to keep James Blackman in because with that kind of offense, I don't trust a guy like Alex Hornibook transfer from Wisconsin to run that offense. He doesn't have the arm talent to do it. I know that for a fact. Uh, he's not fast enough. I'm not saying that James Blackman's fast, but he, he he just has a better time clock than Hornibrook. I actually think the better quarterback of the of the guys is actually Jordan Travis, the transfer from Louisville. Just got his waiver uh, to be able to play. I, but I, I don't see him using being on the field a lot. Florida State imploded. They completely imploded. A lot of it started with James Blackman. Now he started this game. He had more touchdowns and incompletions in the first half. They were they were this. It was incredible what he was doing. He he showed his arm talent. The kid has an arm. He his deep oh, ball yeah. is beautiful. But after that, they just imploded. And something you said that uh, really really caught my attention. That has seeming it's seemingly been the narrative for college football early on. And we'll get more into this later. Even Clemson did a little bit. It's the running game. These teams that are running the ball, just wearing down the teams, they're imposing their will on them. You see them just kind of like, I don't know, their eyes roll back into their head. They're just not ready to play football anymore. They're tired, hands on the hips. Saw that a lot with Auburn. Saw that a lot with South Carolina. Clemson might run for 800 yards on South Carolina. Uh, It's these teams were getting worn down. A lot of it's conditioning. I don't know who their conditioning coaches are for these other schools, but you really need to reevaluate them. Florida state just looked just completely out of it in the second half. Their defense, uh, Hank Bachmeyer is a true freshman and he played well. Don't get me wrong. First half, they were rocking that kid, making his helmet come off, getting into his face, making him see ghosts. But guess what? In that second half, he looked like Peyton Manning. He was killing them. And the running backs for, Boise State, or Mahone, Haloni, those guys look better than Cam Akers and Labor. What? You're talking about a Florida State team that if you look on paper, and this is why it's important, folks, if you look on paper, Florida State is better than Boise State top to bottom. You you, you would assume that a third-year player, a two-year starter at quarterback for uh, Florida State for James Blackman would be better than a true freshman, Hank Bachmeyer. Uh, you would think that Florida State's offensive line, granted, they didn't play as bad, but they didn't play well either. You would think that they would get much better. They didn't. The receivers seem to only care about big plays. Tamori and Terry, 
you know, he catches a big pass and goes down the field and everybody, he's putting on that stupid mask on the sideline. Everybody's excited, but he can't catch a simple 10 yard slant. Florida state just that I am so like off the train of Florida state already. <laughs> uh, Willie Taggart might not actually make it to the end of the year. Uh, I think if Florida state can find some money, some capital to be able to get him out, he might go. Uh, I was one of those guys that said you need to give him some time, but right now it doesn't look like that team is any more disciplined than they were last year. So that was weird. Look at the, you're talking about wearing people down. Um, Boise state had time of possession, 40 minutes and three seconds. So you're telling me that they, their offense was on the field for almost three quarters. That, that is ridiculous for a Florida state team to allow another team to be on the field for that long. And, to, and it's disrespectful to their defense. You can't <laughs> expect, you can't expect your defense to be out there for almost three quarters. That I, I it, it's just shocking to me. It goes back to the, the offense, not being able to move the ball one for 12 on third down. Um, and the reason why it was only one for 12, 12 seems kind of like a low number. Well, because they weren't on the field. You look at Boise state when they got the ball, Man, they kept it. And really, Boise State, um, you know, like I said, they 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 were very well-rounded. But, man, they just kept running the ball when they needed to. They kept converting when they needed to. 10 of 19 from third down uh, efficiency there. So uh, you're not going to win a game if you're only holding the ball for, for 19 minutes. you gotta, you got to have the ball longer than that. Um, and and your, your defense, any, any defense is going to get worn out being on the field for that long. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it says something about the offense. You know, don't get me wrong. I think Florida State has the capability of being very explosive. Very explosive. We saw that to the tune of 31 points. But here's the issue with that. If you're three and out in yourself, like you said, that poor defense, Harlan Barnett has an issue over there. Look, that poor defense, I think Boise State – cracked a hundred plays, if not more in the game to Florida States, like 48 to 58, something like that. The, when you're focused on big plays so much that you're putting your D de- and you know what this is re- reminiscent of, this is reminiscent of Clemson back before, you know, Brent Venables got there when it was Kevin Steele, you'd have an offense that could put 60 on the board, but they're going to give up 63. You, you can't you can't just keep your defense out there. And, and Boise State was really good at being balanced. Florida State was just trying to go for the big shot. And you can't do that. Florida State, again, where I saw some things that were better. The offensive line played better. The secondary played really good in the beginning of the game. They got some pressure. Uh, and the offense kind of looks explosive when it's good. But that's the thing about it. You can't rely on that. You got to be able to put a drive together and people get annoyed with Clemson. They want Clemson to go and get big plays every single time. You got to realize it's a methodical thing. You got to know when to use tempo. You got to know when to try to go for a big play. You got to know when to just chalk it down and run the ball. That's what we did. And that's why we won the game by 38 points. So Florida state's got some stuff to work on, but let's move away from that game. That was an atrocious one. Let's go to an even worse game. New North Carolina versus South Carolina. This is a fan favorite. Uh, Sam Howell, true freshman and Matt Brown, first year coach literally extended South Carolina's lost streak to the ACC 
to the tune of 20 to 24 to 20. Uh, we talked about Tavian Feaster being a factor and was pretty much forgotten about. And they went to their, I guess, their moneymaker, Jake Bentley, for him to only let them down again. What's your thoughts on this game, man? Um, well, I, I'm, it, for me, it was one of those games where, and I'll, I'll say this, a lot of people are, know that I'm a, I run a Clemson show and I'm a Clemson fan and Clemson graduate. So I think it'd be easier to just write me off as somebody who's just going to have orange colored glasses. Right. And, and I will say that, uh, with the spread, I gave South Carolina the win on my, my college football pick on. So I, I was not, <laughs> going, I, was, I was not going into the game thinking that South Carolina would lose this game. Um, I had went against them in the past in this North Carolina, South Carolina duel, and they, they won. And so this year I said, well, you know, I'm going to respect what they have. I feel like that with the addition of Tavian Feaster, they were going to uh, improve upon what they did last year. And, um, man, they just completely, you know, proved me wrong for sure. And, and as a Clemson fan, I'm excited about that. But, um, but in the sense of looking at it from a college football perspective, um, definitely a loss that was not expected from for South Carolina, and I, I know that the Carolina fan or South Carolina fans there are very um, upset about where this state of this program is at because um, I know that for a couple of years they've been frustrated with Bentley. It seems like that the coaching staff, for whatever reason, is still trusting in Bentley, and as we mentioned previously in the in the show, those last critical five drives of the game, he had. Uh, three punts and two interceptions. So Bentley is someone who um, at one point was getting, was helping you get to 20 to nine, but then towards the end of the game was not able to produce when it was necessary. Um, there were some coaching issues as well. There was that, that fourth down play where it was at midfield in the fourth quarter, one yard to go feaster. The last time you'll see feaster in the game with the ball, he was, uh, driving, helping them drive and get first downs, and um, you know, but then they they took the ball away from him, and uh, and and on that they 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 punted the ball on fourth down and one. So um, I think if you look back, it's easy to look back, but uh, it would have been nice to give that ball to Feaster, considering he's such an experienced running back. It'd been nice to see what he could have produced and and get that first down would have kept the game at 20 to 17 would have moved the ball uh, run the clock down a little bit more I think that was something that Carolina fans want back and to do differently um, I also feel like it's a big head scratcher that you would allow Bentley to um, to basically try to take over the game and pass as much as he did uh, towards the end of the game three five minutes left in the third quarter it was basically the Jake Bentley show and it turned into three punts and two interceptions um, so I think that a lot of people have been looking for the backups. Uh, Helsinki to come in and Helsinki, excuse me, to come in and um, uh, take over. A lot of people want Bentley to be out of the game, and uh, I think this game is one of those ones that kind of proves their point that he needs to. They need to try something different. Uh, if they don't try something different with the quarterback position, they definitely need to give the ball more to Tavian Feaster. Surprised that he came in, didn't start the game, um, but considering that he just came to the team in August. It wasn't too big a surprise, but I felt like that he would be an automatic starter as good as he is and as much experience as he has um, and as good as he is in the blocking game. It's not like he needs to improve in the blocking. He already kind of knows what to do. 
Um, and like you said earlier, he's great in the, the passing game. Um, but they didn't go with him at the beginning. Um, they seemed to use him, and he got a 34-yard touchdown which and, and had 5.5 yards per, per carry, but then went away from him in the fourth quarter, and so that was a head-scratcher. Um, I noticed that a lot of fans are already posting about the game next week against, uh, I believe, uh, Charleston Southern, and uh, I think game I think tickets are on sale right now for like seven fifty. So if you want to get in and get you a cheap ticket for next week's game, um, you can, and it, it won't even cost you the price of a of a, a date night. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and you made a lot of good points there. I want to talk about some of those too. You you talking about a, a South Carolina team who again was worn down by the run game, just like Florida State. Uh, North Carolina has some really good running backs, Williams, Carter. We saw a true freshman go out there and light it up. Um, they were just worn down. And now the reason why I picked South Carolina to win this game is because of what South Carolina has on the starting in the starting positions, offensively and defensively. I I've always said that I thought that South Carolina starting 22 is good enough to win them six, seven games beyond that. They're hurting. I, I don't think they're a two-win game, uh, two-win team beyond the first uh, first strings. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a reason why I say that because again, a lot of those guys are really good. But we saw this happen last season against Clemson. You know, once you know the, the whole excuse was that oh we had all of our guys injured. Well, you're, where's your backups? Where's your backups? So here's the thing though. A lot of the starters were still in for South Carolina in the last moments for the game, uh, and they were just worn down, which doesn't bode well uh, when you lose to North Carolina, and then you turn around, and in, in two weeks, you're going to be playing Alabama at home. And for those of you who thought that you had a shot against Alabama, go ahead and miss me with that nonsense. All right? I, it's Okay. And another thing that I really want to relay to people is that, you know, there is some clamoring for having Helensky come in in lieu of Jake Bentley's terrible play that he's he's been in this way for a couple of years. Uh, but let me ask you a question. Do you bring in Ryan Helensky on a season that, you know, is already kind of lost? It's weird to say that on game one, but they've already had the toughest schedule in the country. Uh and then you lose your game one to a lower, lowly ACC Coastals team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially a rebuilding ACC team. Yeah. Neutral site. Exactly. Um, Do you throw in Ryan Helensky and just go ahead and kill his confidence for next season? Or do you just <laughs> ride the Jake Bentley train and see what you can get from him? I am convinced that Jake Bentley is Felipe Frank's South Carolina. He, he is at least Felipe came out with a win, but uh, <laughs> I, I, they, they are the same guy. They have not developed at all for look, Florida fans have been talking about this for he was booed. Both guys were booed at home by their own fans. Uh, both <laughs> guys have an interception situation. Both guys have good size. If you can mold them and develop them, they're NFL prototype guys. Franks is 6'6", 250. Jake Bentley is around 6'3", 6'4", 240, 230. Those guys have the frame to be it. They don't have the mindset. Both of them have the arm talent. Well, I'm going a little far on Felipe Franks with arm talent. But they just can't get it together. And some of that. Or they can string together. They can't. 
And, um, you know, Will Muschamp has to be at the at responsibility for some of this. Same with Ray Turner. If Look, if you are a South Carolina fan and you're ragging on Will Muschamp, okay, you also need to rag on Ray Tanner because he hired him. I think Will Muschamp and Ray Tanner really need to look, take a really long look in the mirror, figure out exactly what they want from this school and how they want it to be, and act on that. Until then, South Carolina is always going to be second best team in the state and third or fourth in the SEC East. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I think if you look at the the quarterback situation, it's a great comparison there because Franks and Bentley can both string together a couple of games where you're like, okay, these guys, these guys are pretty good. Okay, they're getting better. They're they're receptive to coaching and and looking back at the film, and then they go and do games like this where it's like, what are you doing towards the end of the game? You're you're trying to take it over, but you're obviously uh, not successful. The scary thing for me is that the coaching staff was seeing that and seemed to not make a decision. So I feel like that he's still their guy. Um, comparatively, though, you look at uh, the game was supposed to be a 70% chance of winning as far as the S&P Plus goes. So this was one of those games that would chalk it up as a win, right? ACC team, the Charleston Southern game. So they were supposed to start off the season 2-0 and going into uh, bringing Alabama into uh, Williams-Brice Stadium, right? Um, that's not going to be the case now. Uh, likely they'll be one and one going bringing in, in Alabama and Alabama has, uh, they have a chance of like a 14% chance of winning that game uh, as of right now. But a lot of my South Carolina friends were saying that um, just give us seven games. We can definitely win seven games in the toughest schedule of the year. Um, <laughs> you know, win expectation for S and P plus was about 5.9 wins this season. And that included the, the, the North Carolina win. So you're looking at, um, closer to less, you know, closer to that five or, or maybe even scary, scary enough four, depending on how well things go. I think that, um, one of the great things about Dabo Sweeney is that he plays so many people. He, he played 90 players last game against Georgia tech and getting that experience. And, um, I think if anything, it's time to, uh, give this guy some reps, give the backup some reps to see what they can do with the offense that, that it is right now. Um, especially games like the Alabama type game where, you know, you're already probably going to lose that game. Let's be, let's be realistic. And um, even though you are going to lose it, I think it's invaluable experience to say, Hey, I've got Ryan in there getting that experience against the best team. One of the best teams in the country um, might get pounded, might get beat up, but I think the experience, uh, you can't get back and you don't want to lose it, especially, um, Walt Deptula said this on Twitter recently. He's like, Hey, go with the future. Don't, don't sit on the past. And, uh, I agree with that 110%. I think it's time for the future time to give him a chance. Um, Bentley can, can definitely be someone who, who can make plays and win games and he's definitely someone who can throw 500 yards up on some of the best defenses in the country, <laughs> but 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 he doesn't do that consistently. He 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 has a he has that competitive desire. We know that Bentley is going to come out and play us tough in a rivalry game. We know he's going to play try to play uh, play with all his heart, but sometimes he just that, that's too much, and he does too much, and 
He makes mistakes that he doesn't need to make and doesn't manage the game properly. And so um, he, he, he's just so inconsistent that uh, in, my, uh, in my opinion, it's time to, to try something different. Um, you know, I, I see where you're coming from, though. It is a very difficult schedule to run somebody new, fresh like that um, through. But um, better, better do it now because he's going to eventually have to play these teams anyways. And I agree. And, you know, you, you talk about a guy like Jake Bentley. Again, when he came in, there was a lot of promise with him. You know, he beat out Brandon McElwain, who honestly was very overrated. Uh, he also <laughs> beat out uh, some other guys. But I, I think there's a quarterback issue at South Carolina in general. Uh, they have a problem with sticking with a guy and being consistent. Yeah, I think when they were good, they had Connor Shaw. He is very consistent, very good quarterback. All right. I hate that guy. He's he, you know, I don't actually hate him as a person, but I hated playing against him because I knew that he was going to bring them through. Uh, since then they've had issues. You gotta think about it. They've had a lot of quarterbacks. You've had Brandon McElwain transfer. You had, uh, another quarterback end up transferring out as well. Went somewhere and ended up being a tight end. Uh, then you had Lorenzo Nunez, who every thought everyone thought was going to be the truth. You turn him into a wide receiver. You had Brandon McElwain. He is not very good. Transfers out, goes to Cal. Then you have Michael Skarnecchia, who came in last year, was good, was really good in that game against Missouri. And then you bring Jake Bentley back. What? He, you had a guy who showed you promise, but you bring back Jake Bentley. So that's why I don't think they're going to change it. Then think about it. They had to carry and Joyner. Now he's a receiver. You had Jay Urich. Now he's a receiver. <laughs> what is South Carolina doing with quarterbacks? Why can't they figure it out? They, they've had some very talented receivers. They've had some pretty good offensive lines, some decent running backs. It is what it is, but they cannot figure out the quarterback. Since Perry Orth, South Carolina has been awful at quarterback. So I don't know what they're going to do. They really need to make some changes. Um, and that, this is not me harping because I'm a Clemson fan. This is just because I'm saying I'm saying this. It is what it is. If you're a South Carolina fan, you're listening, or you know someone that's a South Carolina fan, you know, buy them, buy them lunch or something. Give them a pat on the back because they're having a rough time. Uh, and I don't really see it changing even with Ryan Alinsky, but it is what it is. Uh, and we're going to move away from that atrocity to an even worse atrocity. Georgia State came into, they came into Neyland Stadium, a, a place that houses almost 100,000 people. Okay. They were paid $950,000. And they walk away with an eight-point win over the Tennessee Volunteers. <laughs> By the way, head coach Georgia Southern, Sean Elliott, former offensive line coach and interim coach for South Carolina. How did this happen? <laughs> well, I love that you bring up Sean Ellis because uh, one of my viewers messaged me immediately after the game and said, FYI, Sean Ellis is the coach at Georgia State. And uh, I said, thanks for reminding me that. That makes the, the win even better. Um, and, man, it was a hard-fought win. They, they went back and forth throughout the entire game. But Georgia, Tennessee never could, could seem to stop Georgia State's uh, running game, which we, we've talked about all, all this episode. It's, it's, uh, good teams that can run the ball seem to be exposing that uh, monster SEC defense that has been kind of humbled in a lot of ways, even though – SEC homers are going to say, well, those were all of our bad teams that lost. Uh, and all the good, good teams, all the top 25 teams won. 
So I can see that argument too. But, um, you know, Sean Ellis came out and said, he kind of took a jab at the SEC and said, uh, getting this win just means more to us, you know, kind of their slogan of just means more in the uh, SEC. I thought that was uh, kind of fun and interesting. Um, one of those things where, hey, maybe maybe Sean Ellis shouldn't have left uh, South Carolina, but um, uh, maybe they were wanting him back after that game. But, um, but again, I, I kind of flipped back and forth between the games. There were a lot of pretty pretty good games going on at the same time around that that uh, you know twelve to three thirty mark, right? And so um, I I noticed that Georgia State was uh, hanging with them, and then kind of that Tennessee team was was a lot like. Florida State in the sense that they were very, very wore out as the game kept going. Kind of interesting to say that Georgia State wore out a Tennessee defense, but um, you could just see it happening. They they were hands on their hips early in the third quarter, and uh, Georgia State put up 17 points, their most points of the game, of, of the quarter, uh, our highest scoring quarter, rather, uh, in the fourth quarter. So it wasn't like a uh, like a top-ended game or a front-ended game. It was a back-ended game where they kept scoring towards the end um, and ended up putting over 200 yards rushing on them. Um, Barnett had uh, 95 yards. Uh, three running backs in that game for Georgia State had a touchdown and a lot of big runs, too. You got 19 yards, 22 yards, 15 yards. Um, so they were able to, to get some big chunks out of the Tennessee defense. And this is going to be another team that, uh, along with the Missouris of the world, they kind of scare me a little bit with their with their lack of rush defense um, going into that SEC East. Um, you know, Georgia, I feel like has a great uh, you know running back. Georgia's going to run all over them. I think if they can, if South Carolina can actually trust Feaster more than they did, I, I can see South Carolina running all over Tennessee and running all over Missouri. So uh, I don't, I don't really, I'm not ready to say that there will be a win in any of those categories, but it does seem like Missouri and Tennessee have a, a, a difficulty stopping the run. And, um, you know, it was just definitely a black eye for, for Tennessee, for sure. Um, I feel like a black eye for, for the SEC as a whole, because Tennessee is such a storied program. It's a program that I think college football fans want to be successful minus hearing Rocky top played over and over and over and over. <laughs> um, but I think that as a college football fan, Tennessee is just one of those teams. I, d- I don't want to see them be horrible. I want to see them um, be good and, and kind of help tackle that uh, that monster of the Alabama uh, Crimson Tide. Same thing with LSU. I'd love to see LSU start taking on Alabama and, and uh, kind of share the load with Clemson. Clemson has been the only team to rise to the occasion. And uh, these big-time state programs need to do the same. But uh, for Tennessee, for Missouri, for South Carolina, it looks like next year is going to be, um, you know, what their focus is going forward, unfortunately, after one game. Yeah. And don't leave out Memphis. Uh, Memphis ended oh. up beating yeah. Ole Miss as well. Yeah. So Ole Miss has got some issues as well. Look, man, here's, here's the thing with Georgia State and Tennessee game. Georgia State – has some talented pieces. Quarterback Dan Ellington, very talented kid. Uh, v- really, really good, actually. Uh, and he showed that in this game. But um, much like the Florida State-Boise State game, Tennessee top to bottom is light years better than Georgia State. Georgia State just wanted it more. Look, Georgia State went 2-9 and nine last year. They were awful. 
really bad. They they're really not much better this year. If you if you look at talent and the things that might end up for them, th- this game was supposed to be one of those games. They just go, well, let's get our paycheck and you know focus on somebody else. Georgia State has only had a school football program for I think four years. They they, they don't have. This is not a storied program. It's not like Boise State coming into Florida. We've seen Boise State beat Oregon, Virginia Tech, Georgia. We've seen them do that, but this isn't this isn't the same thing. Tennessee just looked terrible. At one point, they were up two scores in the fourth quarter on Tennessee. If it weren't for a couple of things here and there, they could have been beaten by two scores at home by a mid-major school. And it, it much like South Carolina, if, if you're if you're Tennessee, if you're Philip Fulmer. If you're Jeremy Pruitt, you need to look in the mirror, figure out what you want. Because look, let's not let's not be let's not forget this. They've had a bunch of different head coaches in a very short amount of time. Okay, and then even when they found their head coach, the the fans didn't like him. They voted him out, and then you go with like your sixth option in Jeremy Pruitt, kind of like South Carolina. No one wanted to really go and coach South Carolina. They got their last option, Will Muschamp. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm for, for the for the Tennessee loss. I'm more floored than I, I can understand North Carolina beating South Carolina. I can understand Boise State beating Florida State. I cannot understand Georgia State beating Tennessee. Not at Tennessee, a true home game. So you know this is going to lead me into my next little thing. I mentioned uh, Ole Miss losing to Memphis too. Matt Luke is another one of those guys I'm not confident in. Uh, as head coach of Ole Miss, the SEC, all we heard for this whole offseason was that the ACC sucks and Clemson plays no one. They South Carolina fans said it. You would hear everyone say it. Tennessee fans would say it. They're just salty because they missed out on all the Tennessee talent that we got from them. You heard that it was just bad football in ACC. And then you go on with South Carolina, who's now lost three in a row to the ACC. You go on and you talk about uh, Ole Miss, who can't, who put up a terrible performance against Memphis, and Memphis had a terrible performance. And then we we just got done talking about South Carolina and Tennessee. Well, yeah, you want to mention Alabama blew out Duke. Okay, <laughs> who who thought anything different would happen? You talk about LSU going there and blowing out teams. Okay, did anyone think that LSU was going to lose? No, but I guarantee you no one thought any other team was going to lose in the SEC either. You talk about Georgia blowing out Vandy. Okay, (laughs) Georgia is being talked as one of the teams that are in the playoffs. So, of course, they blow out Vanderbilt. So, I think what this served as, and, and you talk about Oregon. We didn't even get to talk about Oregon. Let's just quickly talk about that one. Oregon had their way with Auburn. For the majority of the game. But again, another thing that we've been talking about, a recurring theme, is that the running game has been wearing teams out. They just got wore down. They were tired. Their offense were three and out, just like Florida State's, you know, and, and Auburn went to, hey, there's, there's take the ball out of Bo Nix's hands, put it into Whitlow's hands. Whitlow was breaking off runs here and there, even if he was only getting two or three yards. What that was doing is chipping away at that defense. They were going off to the sideline, getting oxygen masks and everything. They just warmed down. But it wasn't a good look for Auburn, per se. 
I don't think that kind of performance would beat an Alabama at all or LSU or Texas A&M. I don't know. I, I don't see that happening. But what this is, it serves as a reminder as you can't look at things for what they are on paper. You just got to play the game. You want to talk about how UNC is so bad, then don't go lose to them. You know what I mean? So in my opinion, I'm not happy. I'm not one of those people that are happy that the SEC looked kind of bad. I don't care about that. All I care about is the Clemson Tigers. But what I am saying is that, you know, stop talking about, stop worried about what Clemson's doing. Clemson won their game by 38 points. Worry about your school. If you if your school can't compete, figure out what you need to do and then go with that. What do you think about that? I, I agree. I think, you know, it's it's the next game mentality that Clemson focuses on, not everyone else around them, because I think that's what the media wants you to do. Uh, guys like us want to talk about every team, want to talk about tomorrow, want to talk about this season as a whole. You watch one player do well, and we want to talk about they they're now the Heisman winner. And uh, we've we've still got, you know, 11 weeks to go before we even get the vote on that. So we like to jump to conclusions and make assumptions. And that's kind of our job. But as a, as a team and as a coach and as players, uh, the best thing to do is think about the play in front of you. Think about the, the game in front of you and go into that Auburn, Oregon game. Um, I tweeted kind of during the game as Oregon was up that you could already tell as a fan watching on TV that. Um, Auburn had decided to take the ball away from Bo Nix and give it to the running back. And they weren't even really being creative about it. It was off tackle run to the left, off tackle run to the left. They did that three or four times before Oregon was even able to stop them. And by that time they had a first down. Um, And so stopping them for two yards, but then getting a first down, still a win for Auburn. And when they realized that that was what was going to be effective, that's what really started to pick up the game for, for Auburn. Not only did they start running the ball effectively, but then they their defensive line started picking up effectively as well, too, kind of showing up in that moment and playing better as the game went on. Oregon came out hot early, but then didn't score any points in the second uh, quarter, didn't score any points in the fourth quarter. Um, Bo Nix had, a, I believe it was a big turnover in the red zone that uh, scooped scoop and almost score from Auburn, but they turned it into a field goal, thankfully. But uh, um, it's just one of those games where I felt like Oregon had their chances. Uh, a couple of conservative play calling, I think, hurt them as well. Um, both teams seemed to come out and, and do the same thing over and over and over. It was really kind of like, why, why don't you change it up? But uh, the good thing about Auburn is the thing that they were repeating on was, was just running that ball. And uh, it worked for them late game wore down that Oregon defense. And then towards the end of the game, uh, another big head scratcher is uh, they, they have that, that they spike that ball with enough time to do two passing plays, big time passing plays to the end zone. And Oregon decides to play. Looks like it would look like man cover zero. And with the clock stop with, you know, just a few seconds left, knowing that they were going to be able to get out at least two passing plays, why are you going straight up man with nobody over top? Um, it kind of baffled me. Maybe they just decided, hey, you know, um, a field goal was going to win it anyway, so uh, go all out and play tough. But, um, you know, and maybe they even kind of got lulled into that Auburn's only going to run the ball on us. 
And uh, late game, that was when um, Auburn decided to turn it around and say, all right, we're going we're gonna to let Bo Nix pass it and uh, gave him two passing opportunities, and he connected on that last one and, and got the score. I thought that was really surprising that the guy who they took the ball away from to get the lead or to, to keep the game close uh, is the guy they then gave the ball to at the end. And a lot of people are kind of ragging on Bo Nix right now about, you know, all those pictures of him uh, as a kid, uh, you know, being an Auburn fan. But, man, I, I wish that was me. I know there's a lot of fans out there that probably wish it was them too, man. I, I have some pictures of me in my Clemson jersey and uh, Woody Dantzler jersey. And, uh, man, I would have loved to have been the, the next big-time quarterback at, at my favorite school. So it, it is a cool story and, and obviously something that, that ESPN loved. And uh, I think it's great for us. Th- those kind of stories are great for college football. But, um, but again, like I said, it was one of those things where the running game wore down the, the opposing defense and then eventually uh, allowed for uh, their offense to take over and win the game. Um, and we go back to SEC teams. Uh, like you mentioned, if you look at the list here, Texas A&M played Texas State, one big. But uh, Florida kind of barely squeaked by Miami back in that game week zero. Alabama came out tough. Uh, Duke came out tough. A lot of people are like, wow, they stopped Alabama from scoring any points in the first quarter. Well, come to find out, Alabama had about six players suspended that were a lot of them were starters. So once those starters got back in the game, that was when – the, the tide started rolling big time there. Uh, no pun intended there, but um, Georgia also did well. So I, I would agree LSU did well. So I think that some of the big time uh, names in the, in, in the top 25, they, they obviously handled their business, but there, there is a lot of teams on the SEC side of things that statistically were supposed to win. Vegas had them winning by more than one touchdown and uh, did not produce on Saturday. Sure didn't. Uh, and, you know, again, it's just going to be a big deal about going back to the drawing board, uh, finding out who you are, finding out what you want. Uh, and that includes Florida State and that includes uh, Miami as well. They they both need to do the same. Uh, if a change needs to be made, change needs to be made. Go ahead and do that. Don't sit on it. Uh, just do what's best for your team. All right, folks, that is the show. I want to thank my special guest, Mr. Morgan Thomas, for joining me today's recap. Morgan, why don't you tell them again where they can find you? Yeah, so it's The Morgan Thomas Show. Check us out on Facebook where we post our videos and some fun pictures and memes up uh, typically daily. And then you can check all of our videos out on YouTube, The Morgan Thomas Show. And uh, just announced for the 2019 football season, we're partnering as a digital partner with The Roar, uh, Clemson's flagship radio station. All all our videos are going to be up on The Roar's website, www.theroar.radio. Uh, and then you can keep up with me daily and uh, throughout Saturdays and Thursday nights games at Clemson Morgan over on Twitter. Good stuff. All right, folks, stay tuned for more details regarding 4th and 16th, the game plan for Texas A&M this Thursday. Uh, I'm hoping that we can debut it on the roar as well. Have a good week, folks. And as always, great to be a Clemson Tiger. See you Thursday. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. 
pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!